I want to read the book of Mark like it's the very first time. I want to get to know who you really are. I don't want just the things that I assume about you or what I've been told. I just want to read it from Jesus' mouth himself. And I love it. I love this a lot. I love learning about Jesus. I love falling in love with him even more. I love committing myself to him fresh and committing to his mission and I want to be on mission with him. The one mission he has, I don't want to be about 20,000 different things. I want to be about one thing in my life. I want to be about his mission. And I love this because up to this point in the story, you will notice if you read the book of Mark nonstop, I don't recommend that. Just read it bit by bit and chew on it a little bit and wonder what is, what's the main point of this? What does it mean for me today? But you'll notice that it's, Jesus is busy right? He's so busy and he's so popular that he doesn't even have a place to stay. He, he, if he's in a home, then there's no way that people can get in the house or out of the house. Remember that? He doesn't even have time to eat. How many of us, we go, if there's no time to have lunch, I'm slowing down my schedule. I don't care about anything. I just want food. But Jesus has a mission. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing people. He's been teaching. And throughout the first three chapters, you'll see each one of those, boom, 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 over and over and over, cast out demons, teach. He'll have specific teachings that we're not going to talk about in this series, talk about fasting. How many of us like to fast? How many of us like the results of fasting, but we would rather have it without the fasting, right? That would be me, right? Um, then he talks about the Sabbath and the importance of rest, the importance of being with God and God's, God's family as a Sabbath. Um, and I like that. But the Lord, it, it's, it's so amazing because he's going, going, going. And then Mark, Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35, it almost seems to come to a screeching halt. Like Jesus is going and he's, he's let's say he's, he's running like a sprint. And then he goes from a, a million miles an hour and he goes, stops. The whole thing just stops. And I'm reading this going... Do I keep going? Do I skip over this? Because there's some things I just can't, we can't, we don't have time to talk about. If we talked about every little story, we'd be here for uh, years in the book of Mark, and maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing. But I read, the, I, it's a great passage, but it has a lot of people scratching their heads. People don't like how Jesus is acting in this particular scripture. Do you know there's a few scriptures in the Bible where people look at Jesus and go, huh, was he having a bad day? Remember when he made a whip and he went Indiana Jesus right he's 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 whipping them out of the temple and 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 I'm like when I was growing up in high school and we go I, Jesus was this guy who was a lot like Mr. Rogers a little bit mixed in with Bob Ross mixed it together and that's who Jesus was and he was holding the lamb I think my grandma had like the United Nation building behind him and he was holding the lamb right in front of it I like that picture but then you have stuff like then you have stuff like this where, to be fair, everything he says is great. But it's like, okay, what are you saying, God? Because you're, you're healing, you're doing all this, and all of a sudden, it seems like you're having a bad day again. So we're going to talk about, I love his punchline, but it really is called God's forever family. I don't know what, ah, I always forget that. There we go. How come, how come you didn't remind me? There we go. God's forever family. And the funny thing was about this is, is, uh, we were, we went to Grangeville on Friday and, uh, it was snowing by the time the movie got out, but it was worth it because we watched Jesus Revolution. Um, it's a life changing movie. It's challenging. 
And if, you're, if you have an ounce of heart where you want to serve God with everything and you want to be about reaching the lost, because we were talking about on the way home and because it was snowing and the road was fine, but I get nervous when I drive in snow, so we're making small talk. You know, we're like, hey, how you doing? You know, that kind of thing. And then we were trying to figure out who are the modern day hippies, you know. We, we, we could say it right now, but we won't say what we came to the conclusion. But in the Jesus Revolution, he physically saw, I think it was the, I think it was Lonnie Frisbee, the hippie, the main his, hippie guy. He said, this is God's forever family. I mean, this is like, boom. Um, and I love that. And so let's go to Mark chapter 3. Verse 31, 35, and if you go online and you search up this passage of Scripture, a lot of people do not like it. They don't like Jesus in this passage of Scripture. And uh, because he seems irresponsible, he seems kind of rude in a sense. But there's a reason why, and we'll get to that. But verse 31 of Mark chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside. Remember, they can't even get into the house. He's so popular. Okay, they stood outside and they sent word for him, go get Jesus to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, which is a funny way of saying this, who is my mother? So I would say that lady that's outside. Okay, who, who is my, who are my brothers? Those guys that are out there that don't quite believe that you're God, right? Them. And then he looked at those around him, and I love this. I love, it's kind of weird, but I love this. Look, he's looking around the people that are in the house with him, and he says, look, these, he's pointing at them. These people, these people who have followed me, they've abandoned everything. These are my mother. These are my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now pause. Because I like that, but doesn't Jesus have time to talk with his mom? Like, and his brothers? And he had a sister, I'm sure, that they, they were out there too. These are some of his physical family. Now, how many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us, you're blessed by the family that God gave you? Good job. You're blessed by your gram, grandma and grandpa. Yeah, you really are. Wish they were my grandpa and grandma. Um, no, how many of us don't raise your hand? You love your family because God says you need to. See, the thing is, we're not, we're not told, we're not like, you know, when you're born, you don't just sit there and go, I want that one right there. I want that one. No, we're thrust into this world. With the family, good, bad, ugly, horrible, treated horribly, spoken overly poorly, whatever the case may be, God has given you a family, and people love Mary. There's a whole religion out there that kind of worships her. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be mean about it, but I don't worship her, but she's a pretty dang good woman, right? When Jesus is on the cross, who's there? Mary is one of them. There's not a lot of people there with him that followed him, but Mary went to the cross with him. And his brothers, do you guys know who his, one of his brothers is? James. How important is James in the New Testament church? Vital. Huge. I love the book of James in the New Testament. 
it is one of the scriptures I go back to over and over, and that's Jesus' brother. But apparently at this point, they think he's loco in cabeza, right? He's crazy. Now, to be fair, I have a twin brother, and if my twin brother came up to me one day and he started having all this ministry stuff and he said, I'm not only if, am I this, this, a teacher, a healer, and all this, I'm God in the flesh. I am God the Son. If my twin brother said that, I said, no, I saw you grow up. When, when my sister Ashley brought her Barbies to us, we go, stole the Barbies from her, popped the head right off. We told her that the Barbie's head will come right back on, and they don't. Get that. Pull her hair and stuff like that. We were, I mean, she's seven years younger than us. And, and if she's any, any, Ashley, I love you, but we were mean to you. Anybody have siblings? Do you have, anybody ever have a sister and you were mean to them? Right? Right? No? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one. Um, <laughs> but I, then you have this story of him going, I don't have the time of day for them. They're just outside. Don't you have a second? See, Jesus saying, those who are on mission with me, you are God's forever family. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are my, we are, it's, you know, you say blood is thicker than water, you know, family. And that's true. There's nothing wrong with family. I love my family. I miss my mom terribly. She's in heaven with Jesus. Lucky her. Right? So I love my family. I've been blessed with my family. I love the family that I, I married Lydia, and then this is the result. Sorry. My point is, in life, outside of the mission of God, I think God's will is to embarrass you, but other than that, I can't prove it. But you can't, maybe you were biologically born into your family or you're adopted in a family. Those are great. Your mom, your dad, your brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, grandkids, Kids, great-grandkids. How many of us have great-grandkids? Someday, I don't even have grandkids yet, which is good. Stop. Slow down, right? We don't want grandkids right now. Is that funny? That was funny. But then the church comes in play when it comes to family. What I love about the church is you have different people, different backgrounds, different culture, different races, different history, different stories. I mean, it is a fun little mess of a, of a, an idea. You have people who have histories. And if you were to take your history and throw it in the bowl, you were to take your history and throw it in the bowl, and you take your history and throw it in the bowl, and you stir it around, and you get to church, what you get is a mess. Like if I started, when I was in high school, I took a home ec class because it was free food. And I made pizza and my mom and dad showed up. It was the first hour and um, it was a disaster. My mom and dad, they were supposed to go there and we were supposed to say, you know, we, we put the hat on and we went like and, and presented it to them. It was raw. It was first hour. I had no time right? We got there early and they showed up and that kind of thing. But uh, that's what the church is kind of like. You throw everything together and you can't just throw ingredients together and make a clean. It's mess. I hate, I like eating. I don't even mind cooking. I don't like the mess, right? Right? Dishes, I play music when I do dishes and, and turn it up and that helps. But that's what the church is. You have all these people who gather together and it's a mess because we're all different. We all have different tastes and flavors and we like different styles of music. Some of us would listen to some of those, the Christian rock and we go, 
that's horrible. Okay, I went to a youth conference years ago, and I realized I was old the very first time. I wish I would have brought head earphones, you know, ear protection. And I said, <laughs> I think you were there. And I said, I'm old. Because <laughs> I used to be the one going, yeah, let's go. Let's get up there. And I'm like, and there's an old guy sitting there. He's sitting there covering his ears. And I'm like, that's me. And, and so we all have different styles, and you throw it together, and that was what God had planned it's no wonder people get mad at the church because you want to, most people want a clean cut thing. Nobody screws up. Nobody messes up. Nobody says the wrong thing, does the wrong thing. And to be fair, I've been here, I've, I moved here almost 20 years ago. We've had, we, we've had people 20 years ago, like in my face. Okay. We've been healed from that, by the way, in Jesus name over the years, over the decades. Okay. I feel very good, but it hasn't always been that case. But it's because we want this clean-cut family. I'm going, you know, what is the clean-cut family in real life anyway? It doesn't exist. You show up, and you mess it up, right? I show up, and I mess up the perfect little family. So when it comes to church, we are here for each other through good times and bad. That's the best thing about being married, in my opinion. When I'm my worst, and it always isn't always easy, but I know I have her and my kid, but he won't be there forever, right? And he reminds us of that. You know, I've only got a couple more years, and I'm gone. And we both start crying for different reasons, but other than that, no. <laughs> but I know the, the worst of who I am, I still have her. And the best of who I am, when we celebrate, we have reason to celebrate, I have someone to celebrate with. The reality is that's what the church is supposed to be. We're there together, the good, the bad, the ugly. When I look at people and they, they come up to me and they say, this is what I did this last week. Do you want me to leave the church? I've had people say that. Someone was dealing, not dealing drugs. I don't want they were tempted to take these certain drugs, and they said, I, I, I thought I'd quit them. Uh, we can leave if you want. I said, are you? Now you're loco in Cabeza. Because Jesus doesn't clean up the clean. He cleans up the dirty. He's there to reach out to every broken person. We all struggle. And that's what the church is. We celebrate everything that's good. We lean upon each other when everybody's struggling. And I want you to look around for a moment. I wrote this, no, 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 literally, not metaphorically, literally, look around. This is the gift of God that God has for you. I, we always say, hey, go ahead and look around. They're like, I'm looking around in my heart, don't worry. No, 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 you have eyes, right? I'm there in spirit. No, you're not. You just do, you just look, right? No, they are the gift of God. This is the forever family, and guess what? This is not my idea. This is not your idea. Nobody would say on a Sunday morning, Hey, maybe you did. Hey, let's go to church. Just all of a sudden, just, I have nothing better to do. Look, there's a million different things that could be done, but we know with family, there's power with togetherness. Now, why is it that Jesus seems so rude? How many of us, if your mom, let's just say your mom passed away, how many of us would give our left arm, maybe not literally, but metaphorically, you'd give your left arm to talk with them for another 10 minutes or one minute. I would. 
because I'm not forgetting her voice. All I have to do is watch my Aunt Robin on, on Facebook, and it's, it reminds me, she has the same voice and looks like her. But anyway, I won't get into that. But you start forgetting things, like forgetting their voice. So Jesus, I mean, you don't have much left in this life. You have three, I don't know when this is exactly. It's not always chronological, by the way. And you're not always going to have your mom. So why the rudeness? Well, you have to backtrack 10 verses. I skipped it on purpose. What does Jesus' biological family think of Jesus at this moment? I don't blame them because they saw him grow up. Like everybody, Mary heard the voice of God to see who Jesus, who his, her baby would be. But I'm sure she struggled and, and doubted because they all did. John the Baptist in chapter one, we were introduced to him, but later he does kind of question it. Are you who you say you really are? Are we expecting someone? Everyone started questioning it, but look at ver- chapter three, verse 20 and 21. He says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. That's how busy he was. When his family heard, this is his biological family's mom, brothers, sisters, when they heard about this, what was happening, they tried to take him away. They tried to take him home. What'd they say? He's out of his mind. What does that really mean? Crazy. His head is not screwed on right. You ever have family that you said that? Maybe you're the family that said that. And you're out of your mind. Now, I don't want to tell Jesus that he's out of his mind. But we have the privilege of hindsight's twenty twenty. We know who Jesus is, at least what the Bible talks about. Jesus claimed to be God. But they said, you know what, Jesus? You're making us look bad. We saw you grow up. We saw you pull Susie's, I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly know his sister's name, but I, we, probably Mary. There's a lot of Marys in the Bible. We saw you pull her pigtails. We, we saw you getting dirt and, and spitting on it. And, and, and we know you can use that to heal, but you took that and you threw it at their face. We saw you do it, and you claim to be God, and people are starting to talk. We're ready to fit you in a rubber room and a, and a, and a nice coat. That's where we're getting ready. We're, he's out of his mind. So at this point in time when you're reading this, they don't believe him. And so why do you think, by verse 31, they're at the house? We can't get in here. Hey, See the window, see, yell in there and say, go get Jesus. They're not saying, Jesus, we just want to spend time with you. They're taking him away from his mission. They're taking him home. Jesus, I have it all written out here. They basically said, Jesus, you need to calm down. This lifestyle is wearing you down. This lifestyle is going to kill you. The business about being God and the Messiah, it's ruining our family, family reputation. We're, we're related to the one that thinks he's God. Trust me, if you have someone in your family that thinks they're God literally, it's going to get to you, right? The, the, why is that guy not in the mental hospital, okay? Why is he not at least at home and just to, here, have some hot cocoa, calm down. Here, watch this movie. This will calm you down. Ready? Let's watch, let's ro- watch Bob Ross paint for a little bit. That'll calm you down, which it does. It's a really good thing, you know? Just, just, Calm down, Jesus. We need to take you home. So he looks at, I can, maybe he sees him through the window. 
He says, these are my biologic family. I'll give you that, but they're not on mission. They're trying to take me away from my goal and, the, and God, God the Father's goal for me. And if Jesus would have gone home then, he just wrapped everything up, what would happen? We'd all be in trouble. So that's why he looks at the people around him, the very ones that abandoned everything. We already, we were already introduced to at least five people from his 12 disciples. The other story that we skipped was he took all the crowd of people and he chose 12 to be apostles. Remember that? He has 12 that actually follow him closer than the crowd. And, and so, but these people, they abandoned everything for Jesus. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us abandoned everything for Jesus? And maybe not abandoned every physical thing, but how many of us, we actually at one point said, Jesus, I want my life to be about you, not myself. I want my, I want your agenda for my life. I don't want what will be, benefit me only. I want to benefit the kingdom of God. That's what I want because that's who Jesus is looking for. He says, he, he, he's out of his mind, but what he says is that um, those who do the will of God, those who are obedient to what I'm calling you to do, you're my family. You're my forever family. And so God's inviting you. And if you're not a Christian today, I've been to church when I was not a Christian. We went to church and I was not quite buying into the stuff that they were talking about. Someone said, these people in your life are going to pour into you, Joel. And you're going to be a, become a better man because of it. And the truth is, those, those men that poured into my life changed my life. Obviously, God, the Holy Spirit changed my life. But those men that stood up and poured into me, they changed my life forever. And I am eternally uh, at their debt. You know, I owe them my life because they poured into me when everyone else said, ah, that's just Joel. Ah, don't even know your name. Are you Joel or Jason? Any twins? I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't even, like the first time that someone looked at me and said, that's Joel, was college. My best friend, Nathan, he didn't even, he couldn't even tell the difference except for the braces. Jason wore brace. Jace brace. Joel Bucktooth. Okay, that's, I didn't get the braces. It's a hard thing to have, but not have braces when you think you needed them. But Nathan, who we grew up with, and that has nothing to do with my sermon. I'm just pouring out to you right now my heart. That's it. Um, God's asking you right now, will you become a part of God's forever family? What does that even mean? I, I really prayed and I came up with a what I would think is a great definition of what it means to be the church. And, I, and, and church gets a bad reputation. That word has been hijacked a lot of times. So I'm just going to say forever family, God's family. What does it even mean? I, I love, I, I really, God's forever family is a group of imperfect people who love God and love each other. They rally around God's mission and they do the will of God in this world. Starting with their neighbors, starting with this, starting with this community and going on from there. But it's a group of imperfect people. How many imperfect people here do we have? Do you, any perfect people? Nobody's raising their hand. I, I'm glad you raise your hand. Because we don't want to mess up your perfection. I, you know, we, I don't want to step in the way of your perfection. But, but uh, I want to start with that. First of all, it's a group of imperfect people. We've already talked about last week when Jesus reached out to Levi or Matthew. Levi and Matthew is the same person. And these tax collectors were horrific 
horrible people. And then they had, he had dinner with these tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Jesus didn't just hang out with church people. These, these church people, these religious people today, Jesus looked at them and said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You guys are clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. I don't want Jesus to tell me that. In other words, Jesus saying to those religious people, you look great. You're all suited up and everything. Man, you, cl- you combed your hair. You put some pomade in your hair, whatever that, you know, my grandpa used to wear that and used to like really have greasy hair back in the 50s. Um, maybe they still have it. Maybe I should start wearing pomade in my hair. Anybody wear pomade in their hair? Maybe I'll borrow some of yours. Um, how many of you guys have like head wax to wax your bald head, right? Um, but I love this. He hung out with the rough people. So as we go through life, we will go through struggles. Stop looking at your neighbor and saying, I expect you to be perfect, but show me grace. Because we expect the people around us to be perfect, maybe not perfect, but close. Perfect with a little asterisk next to it. Don't treat me horribly. Treat me perfect. Treat me good, but show me grace. We do that all the time. The very thing that, and I'll give you an example. Like, me and my son are pretty close. We're pretty similar. A lot of people, the older he gets, I hate to say this, but he knows it, the more that he's like me. The way I speak, the way I publicly speak, he does the same thing, right? That's what I heard. I don't know. I could prove it by asking your teacher. But anyway, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But... My commitment to you is as we go through struggles, we will be here to support you and love you through anything you're going through. Um, You know, you need a shoulder to cry on when you need someone to ask advice for. I might not know the answer, but I probably won't. Because someone goes, man, what do you think about this? I'm like, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. If you need prayer, when you just need to go to someone and know you're not alone in your struggle, We want to commit to that as a church because the best moments I've ever had in this congregation, this church, in my lifetime, I've gone to three churches. All of them were very good. All of them were very messy. Maybe it's me. Even the one I wasn't the leader at. But the best times I've had in this this church building itself were right here at the altar with fellow brothers in Christ who poured out to each other. And they weren't afraid to say, this is what I struggle with. We've seen some healing take place in that. But it's those people who refuse to admit where they struggle and refuse to go to people. They're the ones that are still struggling. Now, I'm not saying we don't struggle, even if we go to brothers. Like that, the, <laughs> these guys in this ministry... It's such an impact because they're telling stories about men who have marriage issues and they go to each other and say, I just need to be held accountable. I need prayer. I need to come here and just worship with you. Um, they're not wife bashing, which, by the way, that's not a good thing to go around and bash your husband or spouse. Or, you know what I mean? Did you see what Lydia did? I can't believe that. If you only knew, and the buddy of mine's like, oh, I know. You should see my wife. You know, they're all the same, right? We will not, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about, they just come there and they have a band of brothers like David 
who escaped to the cave, 400 riffraff idiots that were, all of them were struggling with one area or another. They were in debt, distressed, and despondent. And then later on, it says those group of people became like warriors for God. And it was the times that they had together. That's why they got there. So that's what I'm talking about when it comes to a group of imperfect people. When you need someone just to say, I'm not alone. Isn't it much better when you're struggling, when you know someone's struggling with the same thing? Maybe it's just me. When someone says, hey, I struggle with this, I'm like, because you start assuming that people just, they're okay. Oh, this person's okay. They would never struggle with that. That's when they will let you down, when they admit that they're struggling. I like to say it this way. A church is a group of imperfect people madly in love with a perfect God. We serve a perfect God, but we will not be perfect. So we're a group of imperfect people who love God. What does that even mean? It means we love being with him. It means that when we're with God, either when it comes to church, when it comes to worship, when it comes to the word, when it comes to prayer, we refuse to be in a hurry. Why is that? Because we love being with him. If I gave my wife five seconds a day or five minutes a day or an hour a day and that's all she had, that's all I had to give to her, that's it, that would not be a marriage. Do you know what's crazy? I actually like being with her. Huh. Who would have thought? We were, it helped that we were really good friends in college before we were even dating. And then everyone else admitted that we liked each other. And that's the end of the story. But we just like being with each other. We kind of want the same job, but it's just not quite working out. But uh, maybe I should just quit and just volunteer in your classroom every day. Do they pay volunteering? No. Um, no, they don't. But we will worship him without shame, without guilt. We're not going to do anything. We're going to read his word. We're going to obey his word. We're going to discuss his word. That's why at church we talk about the Bible, not what Pastor Joel has great knowledge. What does God think about your situation? What does God think about anything? We need to know the word of God says that. We apply it to our lives. Listen, what does it really mean to love God? Look at what Jesus said in John 14, 15. Because loving God isn't just saying, which this is a starting point, God, I love you. And as silly as it sounds, I will say that on the way to work every single morning out loud in my car. God, I love you. That's a great place to start. But you know what? It's even more than that. If you love me, what? Obey my commandments. In other words, if you really, really, truly love me, I will impact you so much that you're going, this is how you're going to react. God, I want to do your will, period. You've impacted me so much that I can't just hold back any longer. I must go forward with God and do the will of God in my world. That's what God's asking for you. My question is, don't raise your hand, is that the kind of relationship you want with God? Or do you want a boring relationship with God? I've had people over the years say, man, this is kind of boring. What? What? How is it boring? Have you read the Bible? Have you read the, the New Testament? Have you read the book of Acts? Peter's all, he's, you know, healing people. And he's all, like, people are healed and people are saved. And he's like, he's like, this is kind of boring, guys. Like, Jesus is resurrected. 
and they're hiding. And for some reason, Jesus walks through the wall. He just shows up. He goes, uh, I saw that in a movie once. I'm kind of bored. Nobody in the New Testament or Old Testament thought that God was boring. If you give your all to God, he'll put you on mission. He'll put you to work. There's always someone to reach out to and love. Always. But if you're ready for that, guess what? He's going to bring the person that is hard to love. And that was the best part of the Jesus Revolution movie to me, was where an ordinary pastor, Chuck Smith, he, he invited these hippies into the church, and the church was split. These were the religious people that were there. They were all, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, but they started getting a little nervous because these people had dirty feet. Then this couple comes out. They're really influential in the church, gets up, leaves the church. Then this, I don't know how old he was. He must have been 80, 80-something. 80 he stood up, and he's kind of waiting, looking at the guy, and he goes over, and he sits down with the hippie and gives him a hug. That, that image is stuck in my head now because you assume as you're watching that that guy's going to walk out and follow them. But he goes over and he, why is that? Because that's what the church is. That is loving God. And the next part is loving each other. Loving each other. We will love each other. We are a group of imperfect people who love God, love each other. We need each other. In fact, I'm reading a verse in just a second that I read at weddings. I'm doing a wedding in August and, and June, but in August too. I didn't tell you that. It's someone that works for Coke. My counterpart. But I always read this verse, not the whole thing, but I love the Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I, love, I, I don't read this part here. It says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child, without a brother, yet who works so hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure right now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. Don't raise your hand if that's your view of life. Why am I even doing this? Because then he goes on, Solomon goes on, and he says, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one warm be warm alone? Someone would be a smart person and say, with a blanket. That's not what he's talking about. All right? A person, I love this. I was reading in that book that I was reading yesterday, The Cave Time, he mentions this part right here. It's great. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So, a great example of this is we're stronger, we're stronger together than we are apart. A great example is this, the, the ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Has anyone ever heard that? It was Rick Warren's ministry at uh, Saddleback Church. That church has been in the news a lot lately. But they started a great ministry. 
And they take all sorts of people, not just alcoholics, but any addictions, any struggle, marriage struggles, pornography, alcohol, drugs, sex, anything you can talk about. They are, they, they come to this place and they have a very high success rate. Why? Because we are better together than we are apart. We are better together than we are apart. Another way of thinking about this, because it says if you take two, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. If you want to break a rope easily, you start taking the strands out, separating them. I think about this. There's a pastor that I've heard a lot. His name's Troy Jones. He's in our district, and he says this all the time. How do you extinguish a fire? Easiest way is you separate the logs. You take a log, as easy as you can, you take a rake, and you just take that log over there, you put that log over there, you put that log over there, and it's going to die out. But how do you heat up a fire? Get the logs close. Add some logs to the fire, and it warms up. As a church, how do you stop growing in Christ? Separate the logs. As, as a Christian, how do you stop loving God with all your heart? Separate the logs. But if we have each other, as Jesus said, forever family, here's the way to do it, together. Together. Look at Romans 15.2. I love this. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Do you do that? How do you do right? How do you, how do you help yourself when you're tempted not to go through with the sin? Other people. Guys, we need other brothers. Ladies, you need other women. You can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. It is so easy because I am a natural introvert to want to separate the logs. It's easy to do that. That's why this last few months, we as your leaders have been challenged to offer you more than we have ever. Not more to keep you busy, to draw you closer to each other. That's why we're doing, that's why we're doing the, the Wednesday night thing at least for seven weeks and we're going to see what God does. That's why. It's so easy to separate the logs. It, it's very easy. Because at seven o'clock, even on a Wednesday, Wednesday's my longest day at work, my hardest day. It's my most miserable day, if I'm honest. It's easy to want to go home and put my feet up. Trust me. But when you separate the logs, you extinguish a fire. It's the truth. Okay? We refuse to do life alone. Last. We're a group of imperfect people who love God, love each other, who rally around God's mission and do the will of God in this world. We, as we close this, we will rally around one mission as a church, God's mission. It isn't about me. It's not about the board. It's not about the worship team. It's not about any one of us. It's about God. What is God's mission for us as church? I'm going to put the mission statement on the screen. And I'm introducing, I've changed it a little bit. Over the years, we've said the same thing over and over and over. I tweaked it a little bit because I think it's more, I think it's more accurate. It is this. We exist as a church to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Not just growing we said, we always would say lead people to, to, in a, into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with growing. But we're asking you, wherever you're at right now with God, jump right in the deep end of the pool. Don't do what some of us do and just put your toe in the pool. Ooh, that's kind of cold. 
or the hot tub. Oh, I, I don't want to jump in there. Some people jump right in. And as a church, as a believer in God, don't just play in the kiddie pool. Don't be like me and Lydia. We'll be in the kiddie pool and then someone shows up. It happened. Embarrassing. We were having, it was great. We want to jump in the deep end of the pool and be fully devoted right now. Right now. Because that's what God's asking. We, to get the ball rolling, we're going to meet together with people on your own. Talk to people. Say, hey, you want some coffee? You want lunch? Invite them to church. Go to our Wednesday night small group, April 5th. If we put our hearts, our hands, our feet, our heads, we put it together under one mission, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish in this community. People will be saved. People will be changed. People will be delivered. People will be healed. Why? Because God is looking for a church that's together, not separated. God's going to bless this place, and we're going to grow, and we're going to multiply, and that's God's goal, is to bear fruit. Let's take a moment and pray. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you. God, you've said to give all to you because you've given all to us. And it's challenging, but we refuse to play church. We refuse to play religion. We want to serve you with everything. God, help us to draw closer not only to you, but to each other. Help us to love one another because we need each other. When we're weak, we can have people that are going to strengthen us. When we're strong, we can offer the, the strengths to the other people's weaknesses. It's perfect. It's perfectly imperfect because we are imperfect people, but it's perfect because it will work. That's the way it works. That's the way you designed it to work. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.